Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we dive into the latest on the Indiana Pacers. Today, talking about the team on the court this season, their growth from the beginning of the season till now, because a rare day off in March for the Pacers right now, gaps between their games before they play the Rockets on Thursday. Lots to get to. We'll talk about Halliburton's growth, 40 points, 16 assists two nights ago, Miles Turner's evolution, their transition heavy offense, and the shortcomings of that, and much more. And joining me to do that, you might have heard him on Combos Court. We've chatted before, former pro overseas in Denmark and Israel. He's Andrew Salop. You know him as Combo. What's up, man? How you doing? All is well, man. I mean... What a day in Indiana yesterday. Will Ferrell was in his car, and then he was screaming something into the mic. I don't even know what he was saying, but he was definitely hyped up. He, he was trying. It was kind of hard to tell in the broadcast, but he would say Pacers, and then the crowd would cheer, and then he'd say Sixers, and then they would boo. <laughs> it's like that's Will, that's Will Ferrell for you. Like it doesn't really make sense, but it's really funny at the same time. <laughs> Before the game, he was getting shots up. I was like, you know, oh, I know he man. had to probably practice for semi-pro, but I was like, he, you know, his form was all right for just like a guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most definitely. New York was in the building, 50 cents. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Good day in sure. Indiana yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it was a who's who of Indiana. You know, Tony East, Will Ferrell. That's down. right. That's <laughs> right. Um, they were just happy to be in the presence of Tony East, I'm sure, that's you right. know? That's right. Yeah. Their seats were a little bit better than mine, but, you know, that's we'll, okay. we'll talk about that's that okay. every day. That's okay. Uh Look, we're going to start with Halberton because just been on a tear of late. The Pacers still to this day, you know, they're they're eight games under 500. They have a winning record when he plays, right? Like he clearly is so big for them. Game winner on Sunday last night. Uh, for those listening, two nights ago, 40 and 16 against a contender. And it, you know, look, it's been talked about a lot that he's an All Star now. He's there. He's good. Like, yeah, he's gotten the notoriety, but even the beginning of this season, he wasn't this guy, right? Like he was good. He was still a, a, a consistent, almost 20 points guy, double digit assist guy. But even he's talked about the evolution of his aggression, knowing when to score, knowing when to pass, when to be selfish even, because he says sometimes there are games where he needs to be selfish and be the guy scoring for this team, right? So that growth during a season has been just jarring to see. What have you seen from him in, in that way and, and how he's gotten better as the dude on a team now? Yeah, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton has showed up for every team he's played for going back to Iowa State. He played with the Kings. He was great there. You know, I talked about him at Iowa State when I covered the draft on my podcast. Loved him. Couldn't believe that many teams passed on him. I mean, I thought the Knicks should have drafted him. I, I love Obi Toppin. I think he's going to be a good NBA player, but there's no doubt that they should have drafted Tyrese, and I talked about that back then. Lots of receipts. He was great with the Kings, and the fit wasn't even seamless, right? I just feel like you put Tyrese Halliburton anywhere and he's going to be great. But with this team, it's a perfect setting for him because he can have the basketball. He has pick and pop threat and a pick and roll threat in Miles Turner, who's playing better and better. A lot of that actually has to do with Tyrese. He has shooting when it comes to Buddy Heald. And Matherin is another guy who I talked about in the draft. Love his game. And I think they're a great backcourt because Matherin has that killer mentality while Tyrese is more of a cerebral laid back player, obviously as a killer, we've seen him hit game winners, but I just think that fit is so great in so many ways. So, you know, no matter where you play Tyrese, he's going to be great, but then you add this type of situation to it and you see the evolution of his game. Yeah. I think that the fit with miles has been huge recently mm -hmm. where, you know, miles was really good at the start of the season, of course, but the last two months, February and January were, Probably the best two months of his career. We'll talk more about him a little later. Mm -hmm. But I think their fit together and Turner's growth as like 
a decent mid-range threat and certainly a post threat. So now it's not. Ariel, last season, and they had Sabonis. I know why this was the case, but every time he set a screen, he's popped behind the line, right? So like if you're a defender, you know you can get up higher on that screen because there's not going to be anybody behind you after it, right? It's easier to to corral the guard and pressure and things like that. Now that he can roll a little bit or make a play in the short roll, not only does that help someone like Halliburton who can get to the rim and beat guys and you know is dunking every other game now because he's got burst, but it helps Turner too, right? So that pairing has been crazy good. And you, they played against the Magic last week and they had like six highlight plays in one game, just those two where Halliburton was looking off defenders and tossing no-look passes. So not only do I think Halliburton's gotten better, but I think that that's a good point to it is that as Turner has improved with this team throughout the season and some of these young guys have gotten better at figuring out how to play with a guy who can throw you the ball from anywhere at any time, you know, it's allowed him to kind of fit into a group with this team. Yeah, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Maybe Miles Turner could always... <laughs> Could always do all this stuff, but now he's playing with a guy like Tyrese who could find him in those spots. He never played with a player, like a pure point guard type player. Like when's the last, what's the last, who's the last pure point guard to play with the Pacers? Like Jamal Tinsley, you know, uh, it's do you, like. Do you count Jeff Teague? Yeah, Je Jeff Teague is solid. Jeff Teague is yeah. solid. Okay. But <laughs> the other thing is, is like Miles Turner has been improving since he got in the league. So I know a lot of it is on him, but the fit with him and Halliburton is just seamless. And look, Miles wasn't even supposed to be on this team, but I think he realized the grass isn't always greener. He's not going to have another guy to play like, he's not going to have another guy on another team like Tyrese Halliburton, a pass first star. It's just great for the vibes there. I want to, I'm curious as a former player, what you think of this, because something Halliburton has said recently that I've never heard another player kind of articulate is that, you know, as he figured, I think he's gotten it mostly, but as he's figured out this balance of scoring and passing, he said in some games where he's, looking to pass instead of his teammates, he considers passing selfish in that game because the team might need him to be a scorer in that way. So that kind of mental reset is really tricky, especially for, you just said it, like a pass-first guy because they're always thinking about their teammates and how to get them open and keep them involved and keep everybody happy. But it's like, he's also he's also probably the team's best scorer, right? So like, that it's, it's not hurting the team necessarily, but at the same time, he's got to think about, you know, how to mix that balance with at the same time doing what's best for the team on offense. Like, what do, you, what do you make of that? How, how hard can that be to add into the balance of being a good score and passer at the same time? He's totally right. And, uh, you know, my playing playing career is over, but I still do play pickup. And there's times where I'm playing with guys that maybe aren't as good. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> may, they're wide open. They're wide open for a reason. This is not the same kind of thing, but maybe me just getting a shot up over two guys is better than their wide open shot or them getting a turnover, right? Now, this case isn't as extreme. He's playing with some really good players, but – you know, I think he's starting to realize that the best shot often is his shot, right? Even though he's the team's best passer. And it's kind of in his DNA to be a point guard. So he's starting to make that adjustment. And I think it's great for his evolution. Yeah, I agree. And I think that will be, you know, when Matherin's at his best and, you know, the, presumably they'll have a top 10 pick. And if not, a you know, good free agent, whatever, something they'll add this summer that can also be a score that will make it easier for him to know. Okay. If, if I'm passing now, it's not selfish, right? There are other lethal options on this team. So I think that part of his growth has been maybe the most interesting thing to me is he's gotten better at that balance of aggression and passing and then gone, wait a minute, I actually need to score more, which is such a unique kind of path. For, like, I don't remember Chris Paul ever saying that I'm sure he maybe thought it because he's the best mid range scorer ever. But like, for example, you know, you don't hear him talk like that as much. Yeah, and I think from a skill standpoint, he has gotten better throughout the course of his NBA career so far. 
I don't know if you noticed this, but I think he's getting better at the touch shots where he doesn't get as close to the rim. Like when you want to beat those help defenders and those rim protectors, just all those touch shots that are so important that just adds to your PPG over the course of his game. I think he's really improved in that area. He changes technique on him, right? In the first two months of the season, he was almost like doing a hook shot. You know, we were trying to like name it something stupid in Indiana, which was dumb because now he doesn't take them, right? <laughs> now he does it from under, now he does them underhand or, you know, a finger roll, whatever instead. Mm -hmm. And some of that is because he makes more, but some of that's because he's gotten a little bit better at being a, a half step ahead of the guy. So he doesn't need to go over him. He's got the advantage already, but you know, that's been a big part of it too, is he's figured out how to create that angle and do all sorts of things. And again, like we've been talking about, that is part of the growth from beginning of the season to now, not in the off season, not from season to season. Like that, that's what's so jarring about this to me is you think about teams in development, like it, 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 it's fine. I'm going to pick on fans, which is not fair, but like fans always talk about young players getting better and how important the off season is. And a lot of times it's talked about with players who aren't as good. Like Tyrus Halburn's 23. Like he is also a young player getting better every game, which is just wild to think about. And he's been absolutely killing it this week. Yeah. I mean, the whole team is young. It seems like, right. Um, I guess maybe not Tice and he's going to have some issues with playing time moving forward. But a lot of this team, a lot of this team is very young. They're all developing. They're all getting better. Miles Turner isn't an old guy himself. Like he could continue to improve. So it's a really exciting team. Their offense is exciting, fast paced, love everything about it. And um, yeah, man, I, the Pacers, man, they're, they're a fun team and they don't get talked about enough in my opinion. Miles Turner is younger than me, which is is just crap, quite frankly. Wow. Well, then I'm sure he's definitely younger than me. <laughs> I've been in the NBA for eight years. You should be older than me. I think. So yeah. Cool. <laughs> Good transition because I want to talk about him as well. And I mentioned it earlier that he's having the best two month stretch of his career. February, he averaged over 20 points per game for the month, which for for him is far and away the best scoring month of his career. And I actually want to start by going back to something you said earlier, which is, you know. Could he could he have done this his whole career, or is this like a now evolution of his game? Because he's always said something to the effect of, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface in my potential, or I feel like there are all these things I can do. And at some, you know, at, to some extent, when he was playing with Sabonis, I get why he would say that. But on the other hand, I understood when fans said, well, we've seen you for seven years not do that stuff. Why should we believe you? So I, I, I kind of got the skepticism of that. But this year with the opportunity, he's doing it. And it's his eighth year. Like, it's very rare that a player gets this sort of opportunity and seizes it and shows this much growth this far into their career. And it's kind of made me reevaluate, like, fit for NBA players. Because, yeah. like, like, how far, like, I saw Depot do it a little bit, but even he was only in his fifth year when he came to Indiana and totally blew up. And so I'm curious what you think of, you know, his new role. If you think he's kind of had the abilities to do this for a while, like he said, and I, I think. He's now proven right. Like he could have done this the whole time because he's doing it now. He's been proven right. But, you know, like what you think of that balance of him saying, I think I could have done this the whole time, but also now having the opportunity to do it. It's a combination of both. I think the proof is in the pudding, though, because he didn't even come to the league. He didn't even come into the league as a great three-point shooter, right? Like he worked on right. that. He saw where the league was going, kind of like Brooke Lopez, right? Brooke Lopez was never a great three-point shooter, but he worked on it. He knew this would be great for his longevity in the NBA so that says something that Miles saw that he became a really good three-point shooter you know and then the fit does have something to do with it because Tyrese is just going to make I think any topic we talk about on this podcast is going to come back to Tyrese <laughs> in some way because he's the vocal point of this team and he just puts 
Miles in the right spot when it comes to pick and pop, pick and roll, right? And then on top of that, I am seeing something from Miles I haven't seen before. Now, you don't want this to be a big part of your offense, but there are times where the shot clock's running down, he has the basketball, he doesn't have space, and he can create his own space and get a shot up. So that's really important when you want to win possessions. The Pacers will eventually be in the playoff, and in the playoffs, you have to win possessions, and that's something he can do in certain situations. So I love everything I'm seeing from Miles. I think that the the late clock thing you just mentioned is like a, a, a slow burn from his whole career where you know, he got the three, and then he got a little bit better at post moves every yeah. year. A little better, a little better. Last year, even with the bonus on the team, was one of his best finishing years ever. And so this year now, with that, you know, they have Halbert and he's getting all these post touches. Teams are like, okay, we have to to really lock in on him in the post because he can make a, a two-dribble move and score. Yeah. So now in these late clock situations, he can just put it on the floor hard once and fade. You know, it, it, it People call it a Dirk fade. It's not because Dirk was amazing at it and no one else will ever be as good. Well, someone will eventually, but no one has been as good at him at it. But it looks like Dirk, the way he does the one leg up shot, and he's from near Dallas, so we can call it a Dirk fade, I guess. Uh, but it goes in, right? And so that part of it makes it so easy for him to create space because he slowly got better at those post moves. All of a sudden, he can swing the pendulum back to being this mid-range threat. And he said it like, I, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, he said, like, I'm a three-level scorer. And I kind of thought about it when he said it. Like, are you? Yeah, he is. He has been this year. Yeah. And, you know, with Tyrese and the way they play, I don't think they need much posting up from him. Maybe in certain situations, right? Like, it's you want to keep switches, really. Yeah. You want to keep the floor wide open. And, you know, Carlisle has talked about this on other teams, right? Like, the value of the post up. So, you know, I don't think that's too important for this team. But what you do love and what you just talked about was, you know, the short roll, the pick and pop, the pick and roll. And he has all of those. And it's really important for a player like Tyrese to have another player with them that has that skill set at their disposal. The thing about I have two in the favor of post up arguments, but I, I agree with you that it should not be a part of your offense. One is that. As, like look at Tatum, for example, like if there's a small switch on Tatum, he's posting up and scoring, right? Like if you have that in your bag, that's important. And two is this one's dumb, but covering Sabonis for so long, I noticed this, like a lot of young bigs these days don't like have to work on post defense that much coming up, like getting to the pro level because it's not as much of a part of the game. So then these Euro bigs who are amazing in the post, they just can't stop them <laughs> at all. So like young big men would get owned by Sabonis all the time in a way that I was like, hmm, maybe if you get, you, you'll have a few more in a, in a few years, that'll go away. But for now, if you have a little post game, it still matters. Um, But yeah, I, I think that the short roll part's been a big part of it. And, and Turner's always talked about confidence and decision-making being huge for him. And you can see it with him, I think more than any player I've covered where when he's at his most confident, he catches the ball, no thinking, right? Boom, it swings the other side. Boom, he puts it on the floor. He finds the open guy when he's, I don't know if not confident is the right word, but not as confident. He'll stop, look at the basket, assess. It doesn't stop things, but it slows him down just ever so slightly. And all of a sudden he becomes a little less impactful that has not happened like at all this year like every catch he moves it, he makes a decision he puts it up and it's usually the right decision and I think that too it one of it is confidence and two is just being better and knowing that okay what I'm doing is the right choice like I'm good now yeah I want to praise Miles Turner as much as you do but you know I keep going back to Tyrese because <laughs> I think the way he plays is contagious and we see that in Denver with Jokic we've seen that with players like Jason Kidd in the past sometimes when you have a player that 
just has that residual effect, I like to call it, on a team where they make everybody around them better. That sharing effect is contagious in a lot of ways. And I think that's really rubbing off on Miles. What do you think of this as a former player? Like I, the comparisons made with Giannis a lot, where Giannis busts his ass every possession, dives on the floor, defends like crazy. Like if you're mm. the third best player on the Bucs, not nah, that's true. He's great. If you're the sixth best player on the Bucs, like you can't not do that <laughs> because Giannis is doing it. Like, you know, you're going to follow suit. So applying that to the Pacers, like if Halberton's whipping it around and moving and flying up and down the floor, like you can't slow down. You have to follow suit of that guy. Like as a player, is it that contagious when your leader, yeah. your best player is doing that? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it also is leading to their fast paced offense because everybody knows there's a good chance they'll get the ball if they're in the right spot. And if they get there quickly. So, you know, this really all comes down to Tyrese. I know <laughs> I keep saying that, but it's like, he just has this effect on everybody. He makes everybody around him better. He showed this all the way back in Iowa state. There's just something special about his effect on a basketball team. And for sure, if your best player is a pass first guy and gets it to gets it out too quick and early, it just allows for that offense to flow naturally. It, you know, it's been a funny player for me to watch recently. They just acquired Jordan Wara from the Bucks, right? At the trade deadline, good shooter. But the Bucks play really slow, and they should. Their talent suggested that's the best way to play. And then he comes to the Pacers with Halbert, and, and like that adjustment for him in terms of play style, like oh, constant because he's a good shooter, right? He wants to be ready to catch a shoot behind the line, to be in constant motion, to be putting it on the floor and make passes. Like the first couple of games he played here, he was. I wouldn't say lost, but clearly like, oh, man, there's a, there's a lot going on. And this road trip they just went on, you finally saw it start to click with him, and he played really well. And I think that sort of shows the, this effect that you're talking about with Halberton, where once you get it and you can move and pass it, you really start to click with this system. Yeah, that's muscle memory. If you're used to playing for, for <laughs> one way, like the whole season, and then you have to adjust to another way, there's definitely going to be a, a period of time where you're not going to get it right away, but eventually, you know, you're going to get it. And I think this is a more fun way to play, right? Like, I think I'd rather play the Indiana Pacers style of offense than the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I'm not comparing them as basketball teams, but just from a fun standpoint, I think that type of offense is more fun. And we're seeing it with the Kings out on the West. So I love that fast pace, shoot it, drive it, pass it type offense. Yeah, I want to actually talk about that next because the Pacers do play fast pace. They're top three in pace now, maybe four fourth I haven't looked in well they're, they're up there right and some of that is that they get into early offense and look for like they'll take an open shot with 18 on the clock if it's there and that's good I think but some of it is that they just kick butt in transition and it's not like your identity can't be transition because there's not a ton of transition every game but like the Pacers are amazing at it to the point that even after makes you can see them run and grab the ball and it's out of bounds and try to make everything a transition opportunity if they can and that's when they're at their best that said their half-court offense isn't, like, awesome, right? Like, can you be a team that is really good, that's just a lead in transition and isn't quite awesome in the half-court? And the team I'll, I'll reference as a comparison, like the Grizzlies last year, right? They were so good on the glass, one of the best rebounding teams in the league. They won the possession battle every game. They had fewer turnovers. They got more rebounds, right? And they ran, and that was great. They got the second round of the playoffs, and they have studs on their team, right? But their half-court offense was just kind of okay. Right. And so there were some parts of the playoffs where the game slowed down and they looked lost. Like, can you, do you feel like you can be a truly elite team that, and look, it's year one of the Pacers rebuild. They will certainly get better in the half court. But like, do you, do you, what, where do you feel like the balance has to be with those two types of, of situations? 
Yeah, you know, the game does slow down in the playoffs, so you definitely need to have court scoring. You can play like that and win a championship, in my opinion, but you also need a player or two that could win you possessions when the shot clock is going down, right, or end-of-game situations. But I think, you know, for the majority of the game, you can play like, and, you know, it'll be an interesting case study on the West Coast how the Kings do with that, right? Because they play 100%. really, really fast. So I think you can win like that, absolutely. The Kings will be interesting, too, because of the guys that they have when it slows down, that will be scoring, right? Are they just going to spam Fox Sabonis every possession? And maybe that can work. Those two guys are great, but it's like, it's not that they don't do that now, but in the playoffs, when the team is dialed into what that's going to look like, and they're going to be following Herder around or, you know, wherever he's running, like, can they still generate a shot in an advantage? I think they can, right? They've got the talent to do it, but yeah, they, they will be exactly the kind of the team I'm curious about. Same with the Grizzlies to an extent last year, although they, they were better at other things than I just said, but you get what I'm saying, where that matters to the Pacers a great deal because transition can be your identity, I think. like That can make you a good team. The Pacers are awesome running up and down the floor. They get probably six to eight free points a game because they're just faster than you and ready to run. Like That's a big advantage. Six to eight more points, I should say. But at the same time, the trade-off is that, and at this again, they're young. It's the first, I don't know what people call it, outside of Pacerland, first year of their rebuild, second year, because the trade was in the last season. But it's early in whatever their project is right now, right? So they have time to figure this all out. They'll get other talent. But I think a lot of what you just said is, like, hinges down to, you know, can Matherin be that late clock guy? Can Halliburton consistently be that late clock guy? Because eventually you won't be able to just, you know, the, their random offense, as they've said before, they don't use that word much, but or whatever term they use, getting Buddy Heal to threes in seven seconds. Like, that's just not going to be there in the at the highest level of play. Yeah, and, you know, it comes down to roster acquisition, right? You need to get those players that could score in the half court, and that's definitely something along with defense that, along with defense that the Pacers have to be looking for moving forward. Agreed. Defense in the forward spots. <laughs> yes, yes. I think they, definitely, they definitely need that two-way wing to be able to throw at some of the league's best players, right, when it gets to the playoffs. Have you been doing college stuff yet? Yeah, yeah, here and there. You, yeah. you like you like Jairus Walker? Yeah, man. I mean. He'd, he'd fit great with this team. Just as a small tangent, he'd fit great with this team. Well, how about Brandon Miller? Yeah, he would too. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, imagine him. Good uh, the imagine. Twins, Whitmore, they're all good fits. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's a lot of forwards, right? There's a lot yeah. of versatile forwards. Um, you know, obviously the top two aren't versatile forwards. You know, you got Wemby and <laughs> Scoop. So it'll be interesting. Like, wow, like that would be interesting. The Pacers, where is there, like, where could you see them going in the draft? What, like spot or what kind yeah, of Yeah, spot, spot. Man, they're currently sixth in the lotto. So, I mean, they could, if they land there, they're getting someone dang good like this year is a crazy good draft so right currently it's, it's tough though because the plan's right there they're going to keep going for it so it's hard to say where they're going to end up but the west is also everybody's going for it so the standings don't move that much every day you know so my question to you is like hypothetically let's say this probably won't happen they had the number two pick you already got Tyrese Halliburton you always want to kind of draft the best player available but do you look for that wing like because Scoot is the best player available but is that a great fit with Tyrese? I don't know. I just saw a picture of Scoot. How he's so jacked. At yeah, 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 <laughs> it's, yeah. It's insane. Um, yeah, I have my whole life been a best player available guy. Me too. Draft. We Me didn't too. have draft on the list, but we'll get to it a little bit. 
So, like, my brain says, yeah, pick, scoot, figure it out. But they also have Matherin, too, right? Like, they have guards, on ball handling guards on the team. Like, that is a tricky spot to figure that out. And and the, the reason I hesitate now is because uh, we just talked about this at the trade deadline. They picked Goga 18th. It's not the second pick. It's the 18th pick. It's totally different. But they picked Goga 18th a few years ago. They were high on him. They thought he was the best player available. They figured he could you know, be their backup center or squeeze into the rotation. And then they just played Turner and Sabonis all the time, and he never got minutes. And then that pick turned out to be a failure, and they, they had other centers come in the mix in the way along the way. But still, like best player available didn't work because there was no time for it all to work. And Scoot is significantly better than Batadze. But you know you have to consider the balance a little bit at least. So I'd be curious how they would think about it. Yeah, I think it really depends on like – what Brandon Miller does in March, because I think I'm on an Island with this one, but if he has a magical March madness, I think there will be a conversation with him at number two. Wow. Yeah. The off court stuff. I'm certain. I'm certain will make it. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's, that's just, a, that's just a tragic situation. I was yeah. talking about like from a basketball standpoint. Right. Right. You know? I get that. Yeah. And he's been, he's been great. Right. Like Alabama yeah. is, is, no, they're a good program, but without him on the floor this year, they're <laughs> not a very good team. I right, love a right. lot of guys in this draft. I like Whitmore a lot. I don't know if he's the best fit with the Pacers because he's a little more on ball than the rest of those wings, but yeah, these guys are all just... He kind of has like... I feel like when you're comparing him and Brandon Miller, like his ceiling might be slightly higher, but Brandon Miller's floor is so much higher to me, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kind of watch more overtime elite too. I haven't done a ton of scouting. Yet. <laughs> I, mean, I went down. I went down there not too long ago, man. That's a crazy atmosphere. I love it. That I love program it. is a good idea. I think I like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And look, man, it just fits with like current basketball culture, right? You want those that short form content, lots of highlights. So I love everything they're doing in overtime. Yep, <laughs> they are. They are certainly catering to a younger audience. Which yes, is, we'll see how that plays out long term. But I think it can certainly work. In the era of basketball, and this this actually turned out to be a good transition to the last point on our outline because we just talked about a bunch of forwards in this draft. But like in general, even looking at NBA players and free agents or trades or whatever, obviously the Pacers need forwards. That's the big picture thing. But what do you feel like this team needs to be better? To be better in the half court? To be able to not be a playing team but be a playoff team? Because they have the dude already, right? They need more pieces now. What what do you feel like the Pacers need? Well, they definitely need defense at that wing position. Um, I, I feel like when a great NBA wing sees this team, I mean, they're just licking their chops, right? Like this is going to be an easy night for Jalen Brown, for Jason Tatum, for Butler. And these are the kind of guys you're going to have to compete with in the playoffs. So they definitely need that two-way wing and they're going to have to be creative in how you get that two-way wing. Maybe it's through the draft. Um, it's tough in Indiana to get free agents, as you know, like Ananobi would have been a great fit there. Uh, to a lesser degree, Thibel, right? Defensive player shooting the ball better now. They need something like that. They need a guy who could play defense at the wing position. Neesmith's done well, given where he, his expectation was for the season as a defender, but he's also 6'5", right? And so, you know, Jalen Brown said, you just brought him up, perfect guy. Like he said when they were here, like they're, they're small, right? Like even though they, even though some of their pieces can be good, like they're a small team, it makes it easy to, Get rebounds or do whatever thing you want to do. Just move around, get better looks, right? So even if it's just a defender who's six eight, like that, that would help them so much. Even if that, like, like PJ Tucker, even no offensive value add at this stage of his career, would be a great fit for what they need because they have no one like that right now. 
Yeah, that's what they need. I mean, it's just like when you see Indiana, it's just going to be an easy night, man, if you're that wing that could score the basketball, as I said. So that's something they definitely have to zero in on because the offense is really fun. And their offense always gives them a chance to win, especially in the regular season. But, you know, as we talked about in the playoffs, the game slows down. You need guys that could defend in ISO situations against some of the league's best players. So a point of attack defense is going to be huge for them, right? They have the rim protection with Miles, so they just need that – build that force field around the perimeter. They need players that can help with that. Miles – poor Miles. Like, he's been great this year on defense too, but he, he can't even be a rim protector as much because he's just, like, running around to cover for all these mistakes all the time, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's only so much you can do. Around the basket. Yeah. If, if you can defend, there's going to be minutes for the Pacers or on the Pacers for you uh, this summer if you're available and, and potentially looking for it. So I'll be curious how they decide to shake things out. Andrew, combo, whatever you would like me to call you. This has been very fun. Where can people follow you and all your work covering basketball at every level, the NBA, all that good stuff? Yeah, you could catch me wherever you listen to podcasts at Combos Court, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Catch me on Instagram. Do a lot of fun stuff on there. One-two combo, O-N-E, T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. As you could see on the screen, Twitter, Combo's Court, same name as the podcast. Tony, great stuff, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Whenever you need me on the show, let me know and talk soon. Absolutely, man. You kick my butt with the Instagram stuff. You're all over that. I I have not tapped into the Instagram part of of content yet. I'm lacking. Yeah, you got to mix it up. You got to be funny sometimes, educational sometimes, informative sometimes. You have to have that healthy balance, you know? That requires me to be a funny person, and I'm not sure I'm uh, I'm quite on that path yet. You could do it, Tony. You could do it, man. (laughs) You you had Will Ferrell uh, inspiring you yesterday. Come on. You could could do it, man. I I, I don't know why, like – like Will Ferrell's obviously mega famous. Like normally, I, like I interview million dollar athletes every day. Like I walk right up to them and do it. Like Will Ferrell was in the media room. I was like, oh, I don't want to disturb him. <laughs> I was like, this is why am I doing this? Well, the way Will Ferrell was acting yesterday, shouts to him. I love everything he does. It seems like he was disturbing everybody else. He was just screaming into the mic. Like I don't even know what he was saying. It was like, I don't know the <laughs> you know that you know the play in uh, Forever Go in, in Barclays when. Carmelo got the rebound and pump fake the shot. So, so there was a moment in the first quarter where a rebound went right out towards Will Ferrell and he actually stood up out of his seat and I thought he was going to grab the ball. And then he realized he's in the crowd. He just sat back down and didn't touch it. He's like, I think he wanted it. He wanted it. He's a character, man. That guy is, oh man. He what is. A, what a unique guy. <laughs> it was quite the night in Indiana. Catch combo on combos court. Much recommended from me. We'll be back tomorrow. Talking rockets ahead of Pacers rockets. Uh, on Thursday, Jackson Gallon from Lockdown Rockets will be joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.